Welcome to the Rooted Conference Podcast, Rooted's newest podcast channel. This podcast features plenaries, workshops, and teachings from Rooted's annual conference and other events. The Rooted Conference Podcast is part of the Rooted family of podcasts, which also includes the Rooted Parent Podcast, the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, Ask Alice, and Thanos to Theos. To learn more about Rooted's ministry, visit rootedministry.com. Today's episode is recorded at Rooted's 2021 conference in Birmingham, Alabama. To learn more about Rooted's annual conference or to register for this year's event, visit rooted-conference.com. That's rooted-conference.com. So we, I love what I do. I love working with um, with adolescent girls. I think it's such a it's such a pleasure to do that, and um, I love to see the changes over the years of of girls. And you know, it's been it's been super interesting for me having done this for a couple of decades now. I have to say that I have to be very careful about the movie references that I use based on my audience. Because things that I could use 20 years ago are things that nobody knows anymore. And so I'm, I'm taking a risk that everybody here knows at least what the Breakfast Club is. Yes. Okay. If you don't, I'm just going to go ahead and publicly shame you and just tell you that you need to leave here right now and go and, and educate yourself on the Breakfast Club. Okay. Because this is a, a great, timeless, coming-of-age movie about several different teenagers. You have all of them coming together on a Saturday because of detention, and they are coming from all different walks of life. You have the the snobby, popular girl. You have the, the jock and sort of the outcast, weird girl. We've got the nerd. We've got the rebel. We've got all of these different teenagers coming together and having to be forced to spend eight hours in detention writing an essay on who you think you are. What a brilliant task for our teenagers, huh? Isn't that great? Who do you think you are? So I love the premise of this. Now, I will tell you, as you very well may know, that when you when you watch the breakfast club they they spend the entire day talking arguing sometimes doing illegal behaviors so fair warning all right but they come together because at the end of the day they're finally able to realize that even though they're all so incredibly different they all have one common goal and that is to know and be known And that is the common denominator. So even though The Breakfast Club makes absolutely no mention of snap streaks and thigh gaps or anything like that that we see culturally in our adolescence today, The Breakfast Club stands the test of time 36 years. By the way, I'm just going to throw that out there. 36 years. It's been around. 36 years, it has stood the test of time because the same things that our teenagers then needed are the same things that we need today. 
All right. And that's why this is such a great example of what's going on. So it really sums up my, my goals for today are how do we encourage our kids that we know them and that they are known? Those two things are so important for every teenager, but I think especially for a teenage girl. Those kind of things are things that every teenage girl needs to have a foundational understanding of. All right. So before we can recognize how, how pretty bizarre we all are, I think we need to backtrack a little bit because in order to help our kids, we have to see what is happening with them. All right. So what I call this is the great change. This is what happens to our adolescent girls. Somewhere between pre-adolescence and adolescence, our girls are going through the great change. You all, everybody who works with a teenage girl knows what I'm talking about too. These girls that used to be sweet and kind and carefree, all of a sudden are just mad. They're just mad at the world, all right? So we all know that this change is happening, all right? And when you think about it, it really makes sense, okay? Because every teenager is under a constant performance review, every single one. Think about that. If you were to show up at your job every day and you were judged on every single aspect of your job, how would you do? How would you sleep? How would you feel about that? Because our adolescents are dealing with a performance review academically, athletically, socially, relationally, financially, materialistically, Every single aspect of a teenager's life is a constant performance review, all right? And so I, I, I ask the question, how many of you, if you're, if you're brutally honest, all right, and your parents had access to every single grade that you ever made, how many of you would just be screwed, right? Me too. Every aspect of our adolescence is under, under the, the microscope, all right? And we know that these developmental changes are happening earlier and earlier. In the 20 years that I've been doing this, the things that I used to see my 16 to 18-year-olds dealing with are now the things that my 12 and 13-year-olds are dealing with. It is happening at light speed. It's going so much faster, all right? So we have to ask ourselves, what causes this change? What happens here? And, you know, we knew, I know David, David Thomas yesterday talked about anxiety in kids. And he's absolutely right that the, the incline of anxiety has been steadily growing in our adolescence. And then when we hit a pandemic, that incline went straight up. All right. So thinking about that. What are the things that our kids had to be anxious about? So just for funsies, 
I decided to jot down off the top of my head a couple of things that I came up with <laughs> that our adolescent girls are stressed out about. All right? So we think about the great change. Here are a couple. And then I, uh, oops, forgot about those. And I came up with all those. And then I realized I forgot those too. So I added those to my list. All right? They have so many reasons for this great change, all right? So as an outline for today, I want us to talk about three of these great changes that they experience and how that impacts the cultural stressors that they're dealing with, all right? So I want us as parents to have a great understanding of what our kids are dealing with so that we know how do we respond. What do we do? Because culturally, it's very, very different from what we as parents want to see for our children. All right. Great change number one is the physical change. All right. Everything about a teenage girl is changing. Her hormones, her body shape, her weight distribution, everything is changing. All right. No other time in a woman's life does her body change as much as it does in adolescence, except when she is pregnant. That is the other time. The difference is when a woman is pregnant, her body changes are celebrated. There are entire apps out there, emails saying, oh, you have an avocado today, or oh, you have a cantaloupe in your stomach, right? They're celebrated. They're excited about this. Oh, you look so cute. Okay, an adolescent girl is going through those exact same changes, but for her, it is very shameful. It is very embarrassing. It is very uncomfortable for an adolescent girl to go through these body changes, all right? That leads us to our first cultural stressor, which is the thigh gap. Y'all, the goddess of thin is very real in our society. The goddess of thin is highly worshipped, especially for adolescent girls, all right? I want us to play a, a few little number games real quick, all right? Of the 9 to 11-year-old age group, any guess how many of those girls reported being on a diet. Can you guess? 46% of 9 to 11 year olds are telling me they're on a diet. All right? High school girls. What percentage of high school girls are reported on a diet? You might actually be pleasantly surprised to know that it's only 60%. Now, you have to remember that those are the ones who are reporting it. It's very, very different from the ones who are not reporting it. How about college-age girls? How many college-age girls at any given time are on a diet? 91%. 91%. Y'all, Americans spend an average of 33 billion dollars a year on weight loss products. 
$33 billion a year. And yet we know that the average American woman is five feet, four inches and weighs 145 pounds. And the average American model is 5'10", weighs 115 pounds. 2%, that's less than 2% of our population are even possible to be the representatives of what we consider the ideal woman, all right? So the thigh cap is so, so real. I think it's very interesting that the average age that a little girl is playing with the Barbie. Any guess? Oh, well, the average age that a little girl is playing with the Barbie is seven years old. The average age a little girl starts comparing her weight to somebody else. Are you ready? Seven years old. Now, I'm not here to demonize Barbie. But I am saying that our kids, younger and younger, are taking cues from what they're seeing in their world. 84% of third graders are afraid of growing up to be fat. 84%. That's massive. So the thigh gap is a very, very real thing. For the men in the room, I'd like to put this into perspective for you. That the number of times a day a teenage guy is thinking about sex is the same number of times a day a teenage girl is thinking about her body. They go hand in hand, right? I cannot stress to you enough the emphasis that a teenage girl is putting on her body, all right? I've decided that one day I'm going to write a book on, this is kind of a side note, I'm going to write a book on the transgender crisis and this physical developmental change. I don't have statistics on that, but I'm telling you they go hand in hand. There's got, there's some connection between kids who are developing eating disorders and body image issues and ones who are also dealing with transgender concerns. There's some connection there. All right. So one of the, one of the wisest doctors that I work with when I treat eating disorders in girls said to me one time, and this is what I ask us to ask our girls, all right? It's not about what you're eating. It's about what's eating you. Isn't that good? It's not about what you're eating. You see, body image, that kind of stuff, think about the iceberg. That's just the very tip part that you can see. But it's about what's eating you. It's all of that stuff underneath the surface that you don't get to see. That's what's driving this thigh gap cultural stressor in our adolescent girls, right? So I ask parents, what's our response? Our response is first and foremost to point our kids back to Christ. Because culturally speaking, that is not the message they are going to get. And if we are not pointing our kids back to Christ, then nobody else is, all right? So I beg parents, first and foremost, have that as your foundational piece, all right? But then I ask parents to hold up a literal mirror when it comes to your own body type and body fears. Ask yourself, 
what are the biases that maybe I'm projecting on my kids without even realizing it? What are the fears that I had or what did I get teased about when I was a kid that I'm desperately trying to protect my kid from also dealing with? Hold that mirror up and ask yourself, what are the things that I am doing to contribute to that? And then we come back to the word. We always come back to the word. And nowhere in scripture does it say that our worth is based on a number. Not once. Not a calorie. Not the size of your genes. Not the grade on your test. Not our salaries. Nowhere in scripture is our worth based on a number. And that is the message that we have to keep coming back and conveying to our kids. It is normal for our girls to desire beauty. That's normal. It is good and it is right. You know why? Because we reflect the image of Christ and Christ is beauty. It is normal for us to want that. It is normal for us to desire that because we are made in his image and he is beautiful. So it is good and right, but we have to put that in the correct perspective. All right. Great change. Number two. Intellectually. Here's the other great way that our kids are, are changing, especially in the adolescence age. All right. So I, like Emily said, I practice neurofeedback, which means I do a whole lot of research and, and learning about brain development. All right. So I totally geek out over this. So just bear with me. Okay. But we know that the adolescent brain, originally we thought that it was formed in puberty. Ha ha ha. Right. That's a joke. Now, and, and you know, in some ways it kind of makes sense, right? In the, in the state of Alabama, a teenage girl can go to counseling without parental consent at the age of 14. We start driving at 15, 16, right? We can join the army and vote at 18. We can uh, smoke at 19, drink at 21, right? But how, what is the, the brain actually fully formed? Do y'all know? 25. 25 years old. Y'all, how funny is it that it's the car rental companies that got it right? <laughs> All wrong. All the rest of us messed it up. Car rental companies were like, oh, I'm not doing that. 25 years old is when the brain is fully developed. All right. And we know it also develops from the back to the front. All right. This front area is called the prefrontal cortex. This is the area of the brain that controls all of the executive functions, decision making, impulse control, organization. Am I clicking on any of the fights that we have with our kids? Right in here. All right. So it's from the back to the front. But we also know that the brain forms from the left to the right. All right. The left side is all the L's, the lists, the logic, the linear thinking. That's the left side of the brain. The right side of the brain is the abstract thinking. All right. So this is starting to make the connections about the world. So back to front, left to right. But we also know that the brain develops 
bottom to top, all right? The bottom part of the brain, this is where your amygdala hangs out. This is the emotion center of the brain, right? And the way I think about it is an adolescent brain is trying to build those stair steps up to the top, to that prefrontal cortex, right? But there are a lot of times when there is like a baby gate that is stuck on the stairs and there is not any coming upstairs. They are literally stuck in this crazy emotional phase, okay? And there's nothing you can do to reason with them to get them out of that, all right? So we have to understand developmentally what is the brain doing, all right? Now, what, what does that mean for the cultural stressors that a kid's dealing with? Well, it means that the it girl is very real. Now, I don't mean the it girl in a relational sense, all right? I mean the it girl as an overall mindset. This is the mindset, all right? Because our adolescents are just starting to think in abstract forms, right? They are in the black and white, this way or that way, all right? And so developmentally, a teenage girl is either an it girl or a nobody. She is either has amazing friends or nobody likes me. Do you see the dichotomies that we're working with here? And culturally speaking, well, it makes perfect sense because those are the things that we have impressed on our teenagers. Culturally, the dichotomies that adolescent girls are dealing with are either you need to be sexy, but not be slutty. You need to be smart, but not nerdy. You need to be social, but not desperate. You need to be trendy, but not look like a tribe. You need to have a boyfriend, but not be a pygmy girl. All right? So these are the dichotomies that we're setting our kids up with. And to complicate matters even more, our kids live on what is called an invisible stage. This is a developmental phenomenon we've known about forever, the, the invisible stage. This is when in adolescence, our teenagers feel like they are on a stage and everybody is watching them. That's why a teenager would be mortified to see, be seen anywhere with their parents, right? That's why, because they feel like everybody out there is seeing them, right? They're on this invisible stage. And you know, 20 years ago, we kind of like, rolled our eyes and laughed at the concept of the invisible stage, like, okay, whatever, right? But culturally speaking, y'all, there's actually some truth to it in this generation because the dichotomy here is that, yes, they have an invisible stage, and but y'all, our kids are on a global stage just as well. At the same time, they are feeling the invisible stage they are on a literal global stage, all right? So all at the same time, when, when we were growing up, our sphere of influence was limited to the kids in our small town, right? Maybe there was that one girl who got like a modeling contract with the local Macy's, maybe, right? But globally speaking, now, our girls are all supermodels. 
You can't get on Instagram or TikTok without finding another supermodel. Maybe there were three kids from our high school who were National Merit finalists. Now, we know every kid in the entire country who's a National Merit scholar. Right? We have an invisible stage, but culturally, we've put our kids on this global stage as well. Uh, I laugh. Our youngest son was eight years old when he was really starting to play a, a higher level of I mean, I say higher level, higher level of soccer. And so we were supposed to track his juggles. Y'all know soccer. Okay, I'm not a huge soccer person, but juggles are apparently where you like kick the ball up a a million times, right? An eight-year-old is supposed to be able to do this, okay? Odd. Well, we're supposed to track how many juggles our sons can do, all right? Then we post it for all the rest of the kids to see the juggles, right? There's this one kid. There's always that one kid, right? That one kid who can apparently do over 200 juggles, right? Our kids seriously can do two, all right? But here we have the kid with 200 juggles out on this global stage, and that's the comparison that we're supposed to make for our kids, so it's an invisible stage, but it's a global stage culturally, right? So what do we do? What's our response? Hi, I'm Alice Chernog, host of Ask Alice, another podcast from the Rooted Family of Podcasts. I am a licensed professional counselor who specializes in counseling adolescents and parents in areas related to eating disorders, body image, depression, stress, and anger management. Each month on the Ask Alice podcast, I discuss a hot topic issue related to the teenage experience. Everything from anxiety to dating to the college admissions process. The goal of these conversations is to help parents better understand the teens they know and love and to equip parents to address these topics in a grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated way. Give Ask Alice a listen wherever you listen to your podcasts or by visiting rootedministry.com. Now, back to our show from the Rooted family of podcasts. It's an invisible stage, but it's a global stage culturally, right? So what do we do? What's our response? Y'all, this generation is the first generation that is a thousand miles wide and one inch deep. And it is traveling at light speed. Light speed. Our daughters, they have very little knowledge, but they have way too much information. There's a big difference between that. And they need us to help filter out that chaos. My, my husband always encourages me to hear the, to, to cipher between the difference between sound and noise. Sound and noise. There's a lot of noise going on for our adolescents. And it's our job to come back to what is sound, what is truth. And that's how we know it is scripture 
and it is biblical. That is sound knowledge. Uh, in the, the last podcast that I did on sports, we talked about helping our kids develop their identity because I think that we can get caught up in teaching our kids that the things they do are their identity. So it's been very important for me and my house, I, my, our oldest son plays baseball, is to say to him, you're not a baseball player. You're a kid who plays baseball. You see the difference? Your identity is set. You are a child of God. You are holy, chosen, beloved. That's who you are. You play baseball. You play soccer. You're a smart kid. Those are just ancillary to the identity that we have to set for our kids. All right? And I encourage us also to model that for them. If they see us on social media, on our phones all the time, guess what they're going to do? Same thing. And it's so hard and I get it. I'm a mom and I know that most of our life is on the phone. Scheduling appointments and everything else is on the phone. We call if we're not willing to put the phone down and have an eyeball conversation with our kids, you're not getting that anywhere else. It's so important for us. Our next great change is emotionally, what our kids are going through, all right? So research has shown that there are six universal emotions. Anger, fear, disgust, amusement, sadness, and surprise. Six universal emotions. So if you went anywhere in the world, you would be able to recognize what somebody felt by one of these six emotions. You don't have to speak the same language, but if somebody goes, <gasps> we all know what that means, right? As long as you have a fully developed brain. Here's what we found out. Very interesting study um, by a, a hospital up in Massachusetts did an MRI study on teenagers and adults, all right? And what they did was in the MRI machine, they would flash up an image of an emotion and they would find out where in the brain each of these audiences would register the emotion, all right? What they found was that the adults in the system would register the emotion using their prefrontal cortex. Remember that? Decision-making organization. They're using this last piece of the brain that's developed in order to register what the emotion is. You know where our teenagers use? Amygdala. The emotion center of the brain, right? They're using a totally different part of the brain. So what we found is that adolescents are confusing fear and frustration with anger. So when your kid comes home and says, my teacher hates me, they genuinely believe that their teacher hates them. All right? So we have to see that emotionally, our kids are still developing. And hormones, y'all, hormones, oh, Hormones suck. They just do. And we, as, 
as adolescent girls have a million different hormones flowing all at the same time and have absolutely no idea why. No clue why. All right. They are feeling a million different things all at once. I cannot pinpoint for you why exactly that is. So I encourage us, there's a, there's a, a practice in counseling called dialectical behavior therapy. All right. And DBT talks about two different things. It talks about logic mind and it talks about emotion mind. All right. Logic mind and emotion mind. And when we have to make a decision, what we do is let those two pieces overlap. And when they overlap, we call that wise mind. The, the overlap between logic and emotion is wise mind. And what we're trying to do is get our kids, help our kids, not to just be logic, because that's not healthy but also not to be just emotion, because that's not healthy. There has to be that overlap of a wise mind that comes into play for both, for both pieces. So as parents, ride the wave, ride the wave. There are gonna be days when she's high as a kite, and then literally five minutes later, she's way down low. There's going to be some high tide and there's going to be some low tide. But as parents, we've got to ride that wave. All right. How does that appear culturally? The mean girls are very real. So emotional peace translates to our kids in a relational context. The emotional peace translates to our kid and emotional in a relational context, all right? So we know that for an adolescent, friends are literally as important as oxygen. A teenage girl who does not have friends cannot breathe. She can't breathe. Another really, really interesting brain imaging study was done up in Michigan, and it found that the same parts of the brain are activated by social rejection as are physical pain. The same parts of the brain. Isn't that fascinating? Social rejection and physical pain activate the exact same part of the brain. And y'all, culturally, our technology is not helping the cause. Because that same study found that the more friends our kids have, actually the higher their rates of anxiety. The more friends, the higher the rates of anxiety. Because we are trying to cultivate kids who have few, close, real friends. Few, close, real friends. We know that Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, all of those things, they make it super easy to build a social network of superficial friends. They may have thousands and thousands of friends, but they are lonely. They don't have, they don't have friends. It's not the same as that deep connection. 
and technology is very much confusing all of that. Maintaining the, the rat race to keep that status is emotionally devastating to our kids. I would be remiss not to, to talk briefly about relational aggression. Um, this is a, a whole different talk, a, a different topic that I, I give, but with adolescent girls, relational aggression is enormous. All right. Relational aggression, it's defined by behavior intended to harm someone by damaging or manipulating their relationships with others. And the goal is to socially isolate while gaining status. I'm going to read that again. All right. Relational aggression is defined by behavior intended to harm someone by damaging or manipulating their relationships with others with the goal to socially isolate while gaining status. I have a, in the, in the other talk that I give uh, on pure relational aggression, I show a clip from Mean Girls because there's a fabulous clip that goes through every example of relational aggression in about a two minute period. All right. So in Mean Girls, there's a scene where they're all talking on the phone to each other. Do you remember where you have a, the two-way call yeah. and the silence call and then you could, somebody didn't know they were on the other line, right? It's that clip. And it's phenomenal for demonstrating this because relational aggression looks like purposely ignoring someone, right? Uh, giving them the silent treatment, spreading rumors, telling other girls to shun the target girl, claiming disloyalty to the group. Our kids are not allowed to have multiple friends. You know that, right? If they're in a social group, it is not acceptable for you to hang out with somebody else. That's disloyalty to the group. It's crazy. Attacks on sexuality and exposing confidential information. Relational aggression is such a massive piece. The second-ranked highest fear of adolescent women is the fear of being ostracized. That's right after the number one fear, which is being fat. Pretty powerful. What do we do? What do we do with this? As parents, as youth leaders... We have to intervene. I'm telling you, if you are working with a group of girls, there is some dynamic that's going on. Do not be naive to think that even if they are pretending like they're best friends or they're happy and you know everybody loves each other, there's some dynamic that's going on. Be aware of those things so that we can now advocate for our kids. All right. We, we are not going to change social media. It's here to stay. You're not going to prevent your child from getting on social media. I don't care how many Disney plus filters you have or, you know, whatever circle products you put on. They're going to get on it because as soon as they walk out the door, they're on their friend's phone or they're looking at their friend's phone. Right. So we know that it's here and it's not our job, our capability 
to try to prevent that from happening. All right. The more we try to prevent that from happening, what happens? Oh, it's, it's enticing. Right. All right. So social media is, is here today. All right. We also cannot control our, our daughter's friends and their responses to our kid. You can't do that. Unfortunately, I know there are so many times we would love to come over and claw the eyes out of some punk teenage girl who was mean to our baby. I get it. But unfortunately, we're not going to control that. All right? So I ask you this. Those six emotions are recognized anywhere in the world. But what about in your world? What about in her world? When your daughter walks in the room, what's the facial expression that we give? Because those nonverbal cues speak louder than a thousand I love yous. Understand the emotional piece. I, I ask parents to, to evaluate this when it comes to your child. Does your daughter fit in to your family or does she belong? Because those are very, very different things. To fit in is to conform or to blend in order to keep the peace. That's to fit in. But to belong is to be rightfully placed in a specified environment. To be rightfully placed in a specified environment, that's what it means to belong, all right? We know these differences here. Where does your child fit in when the family comes? Because if she's just fitting in, she's going to find another place to belong. She will find that place. Is it here or is it out there? That's going to be the question. Now, when it boils down to it, the Breakfast Club and every other teenager out there have three basic needs. Security, acceptance, and significance. Security taps into that need for a boundary. They need to have external limits that are set. Whether it's on how many AP classes they're able to take, or how many hours on social media they are. Security has to do with boundaries. They also have to have an unconditional love of knowing that no matter what, you're still going to be there. No matter how many times I mess up, because it will happen, that our kids know they have that security that we're not going anywhere. We're in this for the long haul. Let me ask you this. Where does your child get her sense of security? Is it in her thigh gap? Is it in her clothes? Where is she getting that sense of security? Because it's going to come from somewhere. The second thing is acceptance. And that has to do with the need to be noticed. She needs to be seen. We laugh. You know, teenagers, they have blue hair and bad music and all kinds of stuff. 
Why? I need to be seen. So helping our kids say, hey, I see you. I notice you. And not only that, but I respect what you have to say. I know that this is a very heated political climate right now. And there are a lot of parents and kids who do not see eye to eye on politics. And that is okay. Because the worst thing that we can do for our kids is say, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to grow up. You don't know what life is. This is acceptance for our kids. You don't have to agree with them, but let them know that you see them eye to eye. Where is your daughter finding her acceptance? Is it on Tumblr? Or is it at the dinner table? The last one is significance. Significance is the need for a purpose. Every kid needs a purpose. All right. When I was in high school, I was never cool enough to be a cheerleader. So I decided to become the mascot. (laughs) So I was the tiger. That's what I was good at. I found my significance in that. All right. They desperately need to know that I'm here for a purpose, that I have a role in this life, all right? And they need some success at something. So helping our kids develop that sense of significance, y'all, the cultural stressors of this world are massive and they are coming at our kids. But here is our hope. They are faced with the same truth that we were faced with back when we were kids. The issues are different, but the word of God does not change. And the same truth that was true for us is true for our kids too. And the comfort that we have is that no matter what the cultural stressors that our kids are facing, he has overcome the world. He has already beat it. It is already being all things new. And there is so much comfort, and I hope that it encourages you as parents to be able to lean in to kids, knowing that the battle is won. We already have the victory. It's done. There's so much comfort and truth in that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rooted Conference podcast. If you found this podcast helpful or encouraging, we'd appreciate your help in bringing this grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated content to others who might also benefit. Help us serve others by sharing this resource on social media, by leaving five-star feedback, or simply by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for providing the music on this podcast. Mm -hmm.